Hello and welcome to another podcast of Teach Learn Pima. I'm your host, Mace Imad, and with me here today is Esau Inoy, who's a professor and associate dean for academic affairs, equity and inclusion in the College of Integrative Sciences and Arts at Arizona State University. Esau is the 2019 chair of the conference on college composition and communication. He's written extensively on writing assessment, race and racism. His book on anti-racist assessment won the conference on college composition and communication 2014 outstanding book award um, for edited books. And I am very happy that um, you are with us here today, Asal. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So I I want to start by asking you um, to briefly share with us about your journey to where you are now in terms of your understanding of assessment. So what was your understanding of assessment, and what um, I guess what is the evolution of that? Well, where you are now. Yeah, gosh. Um, uh, it was uh, a pretty long road, um, as um, I'm sure most folks uh, might see it when they get to this point. My, my um, coming to understand writing assessment in classrooms as an anti-racist project um, really began in my, in my community, college, community college days, um, where I start, started to see developing in my classes problems. I just didn't know how to identify them. I didn't know why they were happening. I didn't know what to do about it, because all of the things that I was taught up to that point, mm-hmm. um, which were not bad things necessarily in and of themselves, that is how to teach writing, how to teach the writing process, how to teach revision, how, how to use portfolios, journals, etc. All those things were wonderful, but they were still leaving out lots of students in my community college English and writing classrooms. So I knew there was a problem and I had to go back to school. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school um, to get my doctorate um, at Washington State University and work with um, a professor, um, Victor Villanueva, who uh, I, I knew about. Um, he did lots of um, race uh, work and rhetoric and, uh, and composition studies. And so that's where I really got started and really started. To, and I didn't even know at that time that the problem in my classrooms was a writing assessment problem. Hmm. Wasn't, it was an assessment problem in, more, in general. That is, not just my own responses and evaluations of writing, student writing, but also the way in which those things get circulated and are um, contextualized in the classroom, mm-hmm. how they get structured by me, and then how things circulate in the classroom after I've already set up the mechanisms and the assignments and the feedback and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, the, sta- and the standards and rubrics and so forth. So that work began uh, in my PhD program and really didn't, I really didn't um, uh, understand or not understand, but I didn't, they didn't come to fruition until um, several years into my um, my uh, career as a professor in different, in different um, institutions. So I, uh, and it helped, one thing that really helped me was I had one really great in my, one of my first articles that I wrote for a, the Journal of uh, 
assessing writing. It was assessing, so it was an international journal for, um, for both large scale and a classroom assessment. I wrote this article in a graduate seminar um, that I took with Bill Condon, and he said, you should think about maybe um, uh, submitting this uh, this paper for to the art to the journal. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. with some revision, we could probably get it ready. And, and so he was gracious, and he helped me think about that. And and we did that. And then um, I submitted it, and I was really lucky to get a reviewer um, by the name of Peter Elbow, mm, and he mm-hmm. signed his review. It was, nice. it was supposed to be blind, and it was a really long review. It was just I mean, it was like four pages, single spaced. At the end, he says, "This is Peter Elbow. Here's my phone number. Please wow. call me. I've got an idea for you." Yes, and yes. it was contracts. Yeah, uh, and so I wasn't doing contracts at that time. Um, I was thinking about this these rubrics, and I was thinking about how to make this space. Um, in which we do judgment of writing. How do we right. make it more uh, more equitable yeah. for, for all students? Yeah. And how to bring students into that and yeah. make them a part of the process and give them real authority and control over the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he said, I've got this idea. It's kind of, kind of, and so that's how I started. And then that got me thinking about what this larger thing was doing. Right. right. Like how, the fact that I have to assign grades to yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because that's what that hybrid contract let me see. So once I did that, it was only a matter of time before I realized the problems with that mm-hmm. and then moved to a full labor-based grading system. Yeah. And understanding it as an anti-racist um, uh, assessment ecology. So it's really the ecology, uh, my thinking about the classroom as an assessment ecology that is the anti-racist part. Right, Not right. necessarily the labor-based grading contract, although that is the, that is the, the, the material what I I love this story um, for 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 several reasons Um, it's it's I mean Pira Elbow is all about you know talking about you know the contention between being the mentor and also the judge and I almost feel like he he um, he brought to fruition what he t- what he writes about, you know, by by reaching out to you. He's he was the judge of your paper and also became in a way a mentor. Absolutely, or, absolutely. Yeah. he was absolutely a mentor. Um, and and now by the time he had he had written that review and we got started to get to know each other and and have some correspondence, he was um, I mean pretty advanced in his career. I mean, he was right, right. Pretty, I mean he was on his way to retiring out um, of UMass, although he was still there. Um, and um, he, he, but uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, he, I was, like I said, I was lucky enough. And actually, I wasn't really lucky. What happened was I knew people mm. who knew me and knew that I, that this was my work. And they thought Peter Elbow would be a good reader for oh, this Oh, that's paper. so great. So it was, yeah. it was a good instance of the editors at that time who also, there were co-editors. It was uh, um, Liz Hamp-Lyons. Um, and um, and my mentor, uh, mm-hmm. Bill Condon, which is mm-hmm. why he's and I. So that's why I took his advice when he said you should probably submit this. Yeah. So so yeah. he gave it to Liz, and then they decided let's give it this. One of the rear should be should be Peter Elbow. What a and great I, story! I know. I'm so glad that they did that because he was. I mean, what I what I love about it is that he had been. Um, he, he he signed his his uh, his review, so it was it was he wanted he wanted he wanted you was, to know him. Yeah, to yeah, know yeah. Him. He was him. And then he really wanted to talk to me. Right, right. That's really that's yeah. a lovely story. Um, and yeah. so, well, it also ended up being a, a, the archetype for or the paradigm, a model for the way I engage over the years with as as a blind reviewer of journals. That is, I don't always. Um, I'm not always able to give up, uh, release my name. Mm-hmm. Um, when mm-hmm. I can, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that sometimes that's not always a good idea. That is, it's not a good idea, not because yeah. of what I've said, yeah. but because it may, um, 
It may overly control a mm. writer thinking, oh, I see. oh, Asaz, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I better do exactly, no, 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 it's not, no, I'm just yeah. giving you my rich experience of your text. You yeah. decide, I mean, it may be better if you figure out what you want to do. Right. But, um, it, but, but what I took from it was he was so thoughtful and mm-hmm. so compassionate and so caring and, and loving with his, he really understood I, I'm just trying to preserve your ideas, but mm-hmm. here's what I see, and here's how I respond, and this is who I am. Yeah. And so if you know me, and he knew, he knew I knew who he was, yeah, yeah. that you would know how to take my, oh, my feedback. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Hmm. So anti-racist, um, I mean, it can be a loaded term, mm-hmm. and um, for some people who have not who are just coming to, I guess, understanding what assessment is and the purpose, and then they hear anti-racist assessment. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how you came to that term and what does it mean to you and how do you use it to empower others to empower students as opposed to, um, as opposed to, I guess, um, making people feel guilty right. inadvertently. Yeah, and it's certainly not about uh, people's guilt or um, or shame or anything like that. Um, anti-racist uh, writing assessment, I came to that term because the, the problems that I saw in my classrooms and in other classrooms were not problems of people and their hearts. Hmm. They were problems with, with good teachers wanting having good intentions. The problems were structural. And a structural problem needs a counter. It needs an anti. Yes. <laughs> so I knew that, and I, from research and from my own studies and my own research, I knew that the typical grading structures are racist. Mm-hmm. They are white supremacist. We can call them. They, 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 we can call them something else, like they prefer dominant um, um, practices and discourses. But that's just another word that hides the racial component of it. Right. And 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 so because of that, I knew that. Well, the. the what I'm, my project is about trying to find ways to be anti-racist, mm-hmm. is anti-structural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I chose that term because it's really when I think about when when I when I try to theorize the um, writing assessment as an ecology, it's mm-hmm. really trying to understand the structures that are moving. Right, right. Um, and so that's that's a structural look at the classroom. It's not just about yeah. oh, it's this practice or yeah. it's this thing. It's really no. I want you. I want there's uh, there's lots of other ways to do this. Yes. I'm sure of it. Yes. I just I don't know them yet. And yeah. somebody else is going to have to teach them to me. And they, but they might. What might be helpful is seeing this as an ecology with these elements that that function um, apart and um, and uh, con, uh, consubstantial to one another. And when we know those things, we know the things we can fiddle with. Yeah. The thing that we can restructure or do something anti to. Yeah. So that's why. I, I love I love this this explanation and it, it, I'm reminded of um, how to be anti-racist mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. Abram Kendi says you can't just it's not enough to be I'm not racist right. to be anti-racist is more is um, is an active and is not just a passive um, observant of of what yeah, is and, happening. And in so, that book, he's he's very pretty yeah. explicit about like it's a structural problem. Right. That's why you have to be anti-racist. Yes. If you're going to, you can't just simply be fair. Right. Or you right. can't be what because that's the system doesn't allow that. Yeah. 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 I think it's a, he's, yeah. He, his um that the most recent book of his is mm-hmm. is really a, a good one mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and it matches very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I I love how it, the way you explain how you focus on. St- 
I, I guess, coaching your students to be evaluators of their own work and also to give feedback. And I was, I was really impressed how much critical thinking you're imparting to them. Yeah, and really, it's um, I think most uh, most all students they have this in them. They mm-hmm. can do it. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how much exercise have they gotten doing mm-hmm. it, and, mm-hmm. and how much um, allowance have they been afforded in a classroom to do that. Kind yeah, of work. yeah. I mean, I am a. Fr- I mean, maybe I've got rose-colored glasses, but I have um, ultimate optimism about everybody. Yeah, I think that, that we can all be better at the things we do, but we also are all can be very critical, and we can be intellectual in right. the best ways that, that means. Not yeah. in negative ways that yeah. our culture tends to yeah. do. So, yeah, my, my goal is really to create ecologies, create environments that allow students to exercise and find their criticality and yeah. find their ways to be critical with language, with the politics of language, with how people judge their language, and then make sense of it. And, right. And then figure out, because I don't certainly can't tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. And I certainly can't tell them what to learn. Yeah. They have to do, though, that's their thing. They yeah. got to do that. But they might meet me halfway. I love I mean there's a lot of empowering your students that 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 I hear there. I'm also as I hear you talk here I am reminded of uh, there's a Rumi poem and he talks about two types of knowledge one that is preserved in tablets and you know that type of knowledge turns yellow and one that is preserved in the heart and it's like a spring that just gushes oh, like and yeah. and it's a, it's a beautiful poem that I share with my students um, and I tell them that you know the information. It's just a matter of bringing it out. And this is what we're here to do yeah. together. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, that's a really, that's a really nice uh, metaphor to think about, like what our project is here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is, I think, affirming. Like mm-hmm. we, I mean, I think we're part of our jobs as, at least as literacy teachers, perhaps even all teachers, no matter what we do and what level or where we're at, um, is to affirm and help our students understand that there's something valuable in them, Absolutely. that they have valuable things, yes. that they're not, um, they don't, they're not confined to this number or letter or grade yeah. or whatever it is, yeah. no matter what has happened in their past, mm-hmm. uh, and that we all work within conditions. We yeah. learn and work within conditions mm-hmm. that don't always allow us to do mm-hmm. all of our potential, and yeah. that we might, we, so we have some choices. We yeah. can either fight the structures that create those conditions and mm-hmm. change them, mm-hmm. or we can accept things, mm-hmm. or we can do something in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> so, and I would yeah. I would say that there is a moral imperative that we we work to better the structure for the students because, and again, I mean, I follow the teachings of Rumi. I am reminded of a poem where he says, come, 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 if you have broken your vows a thousand times, yet come again and students come to us because they want to learn and a failing grade is not the end of it and are we breaking you know I mean in that poem he says if you have broken your vows 1,000 times come again and if they fail you know whatever that means um, do we just say sorry? You're stuck in a in a number, or right. yeah. I, yeah? I think there's there's something to um, a sort of um, dare I say a universal human condition of that we we fail. We all are going to experience some misstep or failure and whatever it might look like. Mm. Um, but it, it 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 only 
means that we're human. Mm-hmm, it only mm-hmm. means that that is part of the, our process. Yeah. So I, li- I really like that because I think, yeah, I think it does sort of affirm um, the way in which we have to not just sort of um, overcome our, our past uh, uh, failures or whatever, but that it's part of the struggle of life. Mm-hmm, um, I mm-hmm. mean, that's... Uh, we're I mean, alive. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what is the, what's the, it's the first word, the first um, tenet of Buddhism is, is um, and I know it's translated in a number of ways, but it's um, um, life is, is struggle or pain. It's struggle, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and that doesn't, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. No, I no, see, no. I think it's just simply a thing. Yeah, and we yeah. Can, we, we and can, it's growth. I yeah, mean, Khalil yeah. Gibran says, pain is the shell that engulfs our understanding. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's yeah. so, so I, I, um, I, I want to ask you, so for someone who's just learning about anti-racist eth- assessment and, and, and working against, you know, racist systems, what would you suggest to them that they start with? I mean, what, what let's say, what can they do in their classrooms, in their courses that, that will, um, that is anti-racist, that will help students? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I think uh, I'm going to caveat this and, and qualify it by saying um, there's a lot of things, that, uh, assumptions I have to make in order to answer a question like that. So, mm. um, I mean, condi- teaching conditions and students and uh, institutional constraints and classroom constraints all have a, a big um, uh, you know, part to play in the answer. But if I were going to have to be pinned down to one thing, one practice, one idea, I would say struggle with the fact that you have to give grades mm. and question whether you actually have to give grades mm. on anything. Mm-hmm. Grades are hierarchies. Hierarchies have only been used to, to exclude, to mm. take some people out of the equation so that other people can prosper. And I don't think that the world is that small. Mm-hmm. I think it's big enough that we that more people, most people, all people maybe, could prosper. Yes. Um, but we just haven't lived in a world like that yet. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe we sh- maybe we can get there, I think, or at least approach. It. Yeah. Um, and part of that, at least in the educational realm, whether we're talking about science classes or whether we're talking about English classes or writing classes, grades have to be grappled with. Yeah. I don't think they're inevitable. Yeah. They're a construction of a system that required them only because more students had came and they didn't know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And the, the antidote I like, or the, the uh, anecdote I like to give is um, at the turn of the century, at the turn of the 20th century, um, places like Harvard weren't, wasn't, weren't grading any of their students. Right. Um, they, and yet they were still learning and they were still taking classes and they were going to school and they were graduating. Yeah. And what what happened? Well, what happened was too many students came and they didn't know how to keep track of them all. They had to find a way to do it. And so they couldn't use the old systems, which, yeah. which were based on relationships amongst teachers and students in a homogenous mm-hmm. um, uh, um, uh, uh, space mm-hmm. where it was essentially um, elite white young men. And, yeah. And elite white men as professors and they were doing this work together yeah um, now our, our conditions are very different and, mm-hmm. the, and the, the the numbers are very different as well so i think we have to d- uh, figure out how do we deal with grades and mm-hmm. my answer at least in a literacy classroom a writing and a writing classroom a humanities-based classroom where literacy is really the mode of learning and it also is the demonstration of learning 
I think we have to get rid of them. Yeah, that they, yeah. That, that, that hierarchy, the way in which they are natural hierarchies, um, they, they're, they are just the wrong ways to think about knowledge. And they don't really measure learning. No, they, they don't. They and, we really, all, and we know this. We know yeah. that there are many paths to an A. Mm-hmm. So if there are many paths, how can an A possibly tell us anything about mm-hmm. a student? Right? Mm-hmm. They're just an institutional convenience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, I'm so, I could, I could keep talking, and um, <laughs> I am sure you have just... A great deal of wisdom to share with us but I want to honor your time commitment I know you have dinner to go to so I want to thank you yes, and thank you. if people want to um, reach out to you I will include your your email and your um, uh, I, I know there is a PDF link to your to your book yeah both both of the last well the last three books are um, are uh, open source and free for my PDF I, I feel my contention has been that in terms of my scholarship um, it should be read and not purchased. Mm-hmm. So I don't uh, make mm. any money off those things. I don't. I, I, I made a conscious um, a, a point when I started doing that that I wouldn't make any money on my scholarship. It was meant to be shared, and knowledge is not something one pays for. Wow, you, it's a gift. You should be able to get it. So, so that was um, so that so you can get it for free. And you can read it by chapter. You can read it by the whole thing. It's, it's up to you. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Asal. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you to our listeners and stay tuned for another podcast of Teach, Learn, Pima.